Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Good afternoon. My name is Rich P. and I'm a Grateful Recovering Sexaholic. Welcome to the panel on overcoming fear, anger, and resentments. I will be the moderator for this panel. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the essay message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during the session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. We will begin the meeting with a few moments of silence followed by the serenity prayer. The Serenity Prayer. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Would someone please read the essay purpose from page 201 of the White Book? I also have it written down here. Edward, would you reset? Sure. See it? Oh, all right. Essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Thanks, Edward. Our panelists for the session are Charles S., Alan M. and Tom C. Each will share for seven to ten minutes on the topic. We will then open the meeting for sharing. Please join me in welcoming our panelists. Resentment. How many people here have resentments? As the book says, resentment and fear are two largest hallmarks. I'm going to talk about resentment today. In the big book, it says, What is resentment but a conscious decision to turn our will against someone, a separation? It is thus an inner anger, a distortion of the truth, usually used to cover our own will. Resentment and his companions' hostility and anger are not only one of the greatest universal hallmarks of our spiritual malady, but unsurrendered is one of our greatest liabilities. I'm going to give you a prescription to find the promises in your life. Or if you will, we're going to PP our way to the promises. First, we have to understand what a resentment is. Look at the person to the left of you. 
Look at the person to the right of you. They have no idea what resentments are in your head. The resentments exist in the six inches between your ears. They don't exist anywhere else. So in order to work on these resentments, it's going to be necessary to bring them into the real world. And there's a recipe for doing this. The first step is preparation. Get a pen and a piece of paper. Pen and a piece of paper. Or a computer, it doesn't matter. But you have to be able to bring these out into the real world by writing them down. Write down your resentments. Now don't give me a resentment like, oh, my wife disrespects me. If you want to say that my wife told her best friend, who then shared it with all the neighbors, and they believe what they heard, and now I can't even walk down the sidewalk in peace. Okay, we can work some resentments out of that. You may resent the fact that your wife told her best friend. You might resent the fact that the blabbermouth told everybody in the neighborhood. You might even resent the neighbors for believing the truth rather than the stuff you've been feeding them all these years. And each of those can be a resentment. Start writing. In my own case, I had five single-spaced notes, uh, uh, tablet papers of notes of resentments. And that's just in the first hour and a half of writing them down. Once you've got them written down, then you put them in an order. You pick the top three. The three resentments that are the most difficult for you the ones that you believe you will go to your grave with, resenting that person or that institution for whatever they did. That's the preparation. Now, there's a process that goes along with this. Number one, find an accountability partner. I've done this with more than a dozen men. More than half of them have followed this prescription and have been successful in eliminating their resentments. What happened to the others? They believed they could find an easier, softer way. But as far as I know, they have not so far. If you'll follow this, if you'll do this as I'm prescribing it, I think you will find that you too will be able to get rid of your resentments. But get an accountability partner. Could be your sponsor, could be somebody else in the program, could be clergy, could be your therapist. Although if you talk to your therapist and said some old man in SA told you to do this, the therapist is going to say, no, you're not doing that. We're not going to have that. Um, start praying for your number one resentment. Put it in your mind and pray for that person or that institution and that instance that occurred that caused so much resentment. Every time you get a, a spare moment, pray on it. Now in the big book, it talks about a preacher who says if he prays for about a week, he can get rid of a resentment. That's a preacher. I'm an insane, obsessive, compulsive addict. It took me three months praying constantly. And I must admit, my first prayers for this person were to pray the fires of hell down on his head. <laughs> but eventually I started praying for him. Now as you're praying for him, pray also for yourself that you can forgive. You must be able to forgive. 
In the book it says, Why forgive? For us it is very simple. If we don't forgive, we're never really free. Unless we forgive, we're not forgiven. We're changed to our wrong, <coughs> unable to free ourselves, leave the dark dungeons of our past, and walk in the sunlight of love. If we were to give this aspect of our program its due, we should give it special emphasis. Surrendering our resentments, we ask for willingness to forgive all persons guilty of real or imagined wrongs against us and forgave each one. All right, so in preparation, you're getting them out into the real world. You're selecting them. Process, number two, that's the second P. You find an accountability partner and you start praying. And you keep praying until you get to neutral. Ask your accountability partner to ask you how you're doing. As I said, I've done this with more than a dozen men. I've been their accountability partner, and I'd ask them every couple of days how they were doing on their resentments. Usually they weren't seeing much progress, but eventually they did. And once you get to neutral, you're halfway there. Keep praying for that person or that institution until you can think of positive things they did. For example, the blabbermouth. Maybe you think about the time when your wife was sick and you had to go out of town and she took care of your kids for you. There's always something positive that that person has done that you can think about when you think of them. What do you do about new resentments that crop up today? Well, stop. Pray for that resentment right then. Get it out of your mind. If you find that it comes back again and again and again, when you get home, write it down on your list. We'll get to it a little later. Don't ignore it. Write it down on the list. But don't harp, don't obsess over it because we're going to get to it later. All right. When you get to positive, go back and take number two and do exactly the same thing. Pray for that person. Pray for that institution. Pray for yourself that you will be able to forgive. If you are like the more than a dozen men that I have worked with and myself, we found that after the first two or three resentments were prayed about and we got to positive, the rest of the resentments fell away as if they weren't even there. I can honestly tell you today I don't have resentments. I know of more than a half a dozen men who can tell you today they don't have resentments even though they believe that they would go to their grave with these resentments. This does work. So we're, as I said, we're going to talk about the PPs to getting to the, to the um, promises. The third P in this, after preparation and process, is peace. If you will do this, if you will be consistent about it, if you will be religious about it, and I'm not using religious in the religious term, but in the term of continuing to do it, you too can find that you can eliminate your resentments and you too can find peace in your life. Peace is a hell of a lot better than resentment. I loved resentment because it allowed me to isolate. I was prosecutor, judge, and jury. And I could go into a fantasy world just like the fantasy world of porn. And it was a damn near satisfying. 
except I wasn't masturbating to it. So when you're doing this, get rid of the resentments and find true peace. The promises in the book are available. I have found them. Thanks for letting me share. Good afternoon. I'm Tom C. Hey, Tom. And I am a recovering sexaholic, and um, I'm kind of humbled to be speaking here. Uh, normally, I don't like to speak, uh, but I was asked to, and I was asked to talk about something that um, if you had asked me three years ago, and if you'd walked up to me and said, Tom, I think you're full of anger, I would have looked at you and said, man, you're out in left field. Um, I have no angers. That's what I would have said. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> would have been wrong. Um, early on in my life, um, I had angers. I had lots of angers. Uh, some things happened in my life uh, that kind of set me apart. And I started thinking, well... Um, I was damaged. Um, I'm, I'm not quite right. Something's wrong with me. I never fit in. I never had friends. I wonder why. I, I mean, I was angry all the time. Um, but what I did with the anger is I just sucked it in and repressed it and held it inside. Um, then I got into uh, high school and all that and my anger just uh, went off on everybody. Uh, my parents hated them. Uh, my sister hated her, truly. Um, all my classmates, uh, eventually I got married, had kids, hated my wife, hated my kids, hated where I worked. I thought my boss was the biggest idiot you ever wanted to meet. Um <laughs> It's tough going through life hating everything and everybody. And I never showed it. I, I never blew up, or rarely. But on the occasions that I blew up, um, I noticed midway between a fight or something, there'd be a switch that would switch inside my brain. And I really wanted, I wanted to kill the other person, whoever it was. I didn't care. I no longer cared about anything. Um, so I'm familiar with uh, anger. I'm familiar with rage. And I'm familiar with having to keep it inside for years and years, decades and decades, to where I'm a, I'm a walking bomb about to go off at any time. I lived my life that way. Um, I'm 70 years old now. I've been in recovery for two and a half years. What happened to this rageful idiot that I used to be? What happened to him? And how am I living today in the light? Uh, what gives me the right to sit up here and tell you what happened? Um, because I am in recovery now. I'm beginning to get into recovery. Um, I'll ne never be cured of this. I'll always be a sexaholic. But my journey for me started 
uh, and I don't recommend this to anybody, uh, two and a half years ago. Um, I started out the morning with a large glass of pure poison, and I didn't drink it. I chugged it. I remember hitting the floor. I remember passing out, nose diving into the carpet. Couldn't move a muscle. I was happy because I knew I was dying. I had two days to die, and I passed out. Next thing I remember, um, I'm opening my eyes. Um, My wife had found me. I don't know when she found me. And I missed two helicopter flights. I was um, flighted off. And I ended up in a hospital in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, where I stayed for five weeks. Uh, Five weeks is a long time when you have no visitors. And five weeks gave me a lot of time to look at myself and to think about where I'd been. One of the things that As soon as I opened my eyes in the hospital and scared the devil out of the nurse in ICU because I was not supposed to live, uh, that I was not supposed to make it through the first day, and the doctor said if he makes it through the day, he ain't never going to make it through the night. But I did. I don't know why. But I remember that there was a battle that fought in me, Uh, and it was a fight over good and evil. Uh, living in the darkness, living in the light. And in the darkness, um, I remember being able to peek, pull the, the veil that they talk about to the side a little bit and peeking a little bit. And I got to see, and what, what I saw changed me. That changed my life. Uh, when I immediately w- woke up in the hospital, I was pardon the language, but I was pissed because, you know, I looked at myself, loser. Man, you couldn't even kill yourself. What kind of an idiot are you? And then I started remembering what I had seen when I pulled the veil apart. When I looked a little bit on the other side, and I'm going, what's going on with me? Because I'm an atheist. I don't believe in Christ. I don't believe in God. And why am I seeing what's happening to my world? Um, I was confused for the longest, longest time and really couldn't talk much about it. Um, Now that I am in recovery, um, a couple of the things that I did when I was in the hospital... um, I made two vows. I made those two vows to myself. Uh, The first vow was, uh, number one, I would do whatever it took to get rid of um, this insane habits that I always had. I I mean, I know I couldn't cure sexualism in myself, but man, I wanted to look at, I wanted to keep it at bay. I wanted recovery. Um, and the second was, um, I would turn over ro- any rock anywhere to find something out about uh, my Christ, my religion. Okay. Dropping water, sorry. Um, 
I was able to walk out of that hospital. I kept those two vows. Um, I go to recovery meetings. As soon as I got out of the hospital, frankly, I moved back to Atlanta in the care of my stepdaughter. I looked like hell, felt like it, and I went to the first meeting. I got a sponsor. I didn't know him. Um, I soon kind of learned to hate him because he wanted me to do the he wanted me to the, do the steps the way he wanted it done, his way. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, nah, I've done the steps before and I've always been able to slide by halfway, the easy way. He made me do the hard way. Uh, bless him. Um, and I, I started getting better. I got some sobriety. Losing my voice, sorry. Now you know why I don't talk. Um, and the next day was Sunday. I, I found myself in church. And from that very first day, and Rich P will verify it because we sit together a lot, um, I don't know what happens in church. And I don't know what happened to me. But if you sit beside me in church, Tomorrow, or you'll see me wiping my eyes. That happens to be tears. I cry a lot in in some of the most inopportune times. <laughs> um, but my heart used to be dead. It used to be a black rock. I mean, I was dead. Today, I'm alive. Um, tomorrow. I'll be crying. I guarantee it. I've never missed a Sunday. And I normally don't miss a day. Every day I start my day off. Um, I have a habit uh, with some scripture, something holy. Um, usually when I'm in the shower getting ready for work, I'm listening to Crowder, Hillsong, one of those groups. Um, and on the way in... And the work, guess what's on my radio? It's not WSB. Um, so I kind of guard myself and protect myself against the world because I know what I am. And I've been told to shut up. <laughs> I'm Charles. A grateful recovering sexaholic who struggles with uh, low self-esteem and fear. Uh, And I'm here to to talk to you about my fears, not necessarily your fears, but hopefully that you will get something out of this talk that will will help you with your fears. one of my earliest fears, and this is not a serious fear, was when I lived on a farm and I was between one and six years old, and we had a outhouse. And so I was fearful of going to the outhouse because I was afraid that the chickens were going to peck me on the ass. <laughs> but that's not the, the that's not the kind of fear I'm here to talk about today. Uh, my fears developed uh, growing up uh, 
uh, in low-income housing in South Georgia. I was uh, one of one of seven children. My parents were uh, about uh, 17 years difference in age, and they they provided no no support uh, except the necessities in life. So, out of growing up, I uh, developed a, a lot of uh, low self-esteem, poor self-worth, and lack of confidence. And all that resulted in fear of failure. Uh, beyond learning to work at uh, various jobs uh, and, and earning money, there was a little encouragement at home with academics. And uh, the fear of failure just kept, kept rising. Uh, and I had very inadequate attempts to do well in school because my fear of failure kept me from trying. If I didn't try, I couldn't fail, right? So I discovered that I, I could uh, I could cloud this fear by escaping to uh, my drug of, of choice, masturbation. And I discovered that about as early as I could had successfully performed that act. I found that I was able to mask the, the fears of failure and rejection by escaping and isolating in this drug. And the progressiveness of the sex addiction, which I now begin <clears throat> see that was beginning to struggle with, led me to stronger drinks at an early age. By the time I was 14, I had had sex. And I was fearful of this person being pregnant. But this fear was not enough to stop me from being sexually active. I went on to prop up my fear of failure and other shortcomings by being with prostitutes and attempting to have sex with most young ladies that I was with. Uh, when I was 19, I joined the Air Force. And a year later, I got married. Two years later, had a child. Getting married in uh, such, at such a young age was partly due to my addict seeking uh, someone to have sex with on a regular basis, and partly due to seeking someone to help me feel better about myself. I was trying to outrun my fears. Uh, how was I going to, when we had this child, I said, how was I going to support a wife and child? After the Air Force, I attended college, and you would think the fears I had would, would have made me try harder to be successful. No, I just did enough to get by, which is what I've done most of my life. Again, the fear of failure caused by lack of self-worth caused me to just do enough to get by. Once I graduated uh, from college and started working, uh, my addiction started running rampant. For over 40 years, my addict ruled, ruled my life in a progressive, no-rules-allowed manner. I was becoming more fearful of getting caught, all the time seeking isolation and driving lack of confidence to dictate my life. I recognized that God was my higher power, but, I was, but He was not in my life on a regular basis. I would go to the altar and pray for God to stop the, the addiction 
But it was up to me to stop it. He was not going to do that. My fears were not, were not enough to cause me to get help. Finally, after successfully trying another 12-step program and losing a 40-year marriage and going to a, a sex therapist, I, uh, I came into SA. At my second meeting, I found a sponsor, began working the steps, and in the fourth step, I made a list of, of uh, personality disorders, including fears. And I made a list of my fears, some of which are fear of heights, socialization, rejection, retirement, snakes, this is not any order, relapse, disapproval, confrontation, being unhealthy, insecurity, and like I said before, my biggest fear is fear of failure. Oh, and by the way, I have a fear of public speaking. <laughs> Making a list of my fears did not result in my overcoming them, but it did make me more aware and help me face my fears. <clears throat> Being in the program for almost four years, and that's about how long my sobriety is, and remaining sober has brought me awareness and helped me to be present. I'm no, no longer lost inside the addiction. I have a better appreciation of nature. I'm a better grandparent to 12 grandchildren, listen better, seek my higher power more often, and try not to move away from him. All of this is a result of going to meetings often, having sponsees, going to coffee and meals after meetings, making phone calls, I still don't do a great job with that, and doing service work. My fears haven't gone away. Fear of failure keeps me from sharing at meetings like I should. But the tools of the program are helping me have better feeling of self-worth and keeping my, my addict at bay. I'm going to do it. I would like to close with a reading from the 90 and 90. And get this if you have it. This is Facing Fears. What a relief to finally face the great fear ourselves. For most of my adult life, I feared I would fail because I wasn't good enough. I especially worried about the future because I feared I could not manage new situations and take care of myself. A lust hit was a distraction, a way of hiding from fear. Then came the inevitable guilt and shame. I realized this pattern would never stop, and I became afraid for my life. This is when I came to SA. The SA program changed my life. I quit acting out. As I worked the steps and experienced acceptance in the SA fellowship, I found the courage to face myself. I understood that I am act exactly who my higher power wants me to be in each moment. That doesn't mean I don't have a character defect that needs changing. It does mean that I am accepted, forgiven, and loved in each moment by the very power who created me. With that assurance, I surrender these defects to my higher power and move on with my life. Another powerful change occurred. I no longer dread the future. I trust my higher power to guide me through every situation, new or old, happy or sad, easy or hard. As I keep my focus on my higher power and live in sobriety 
sober recovery. I receive grace for today and hope for a better tomorrow. God, today I surrender to you my guilt and shame from the past, my lust in the present, and my fear of the future. Thank you for letting me share. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the essay point of view. Our Our meeting focuses on solutions to our essay approach to recovery. Whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not essay-approved literature. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. In sharing, if a speaker brings up a controversial topic which deviates from our guidelines, the moderator will interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request. We can also remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hand. In sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of the meeting. This is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check in, please find a temporary sponsor, someone with a purple dot on their name tag, after this meeting with whom you can share that with. We ask those who wish to share to please come up and sit in the chairs next to the microphone in the queue on the right, my right. As one person moves to the sharing chair, the others just move over and another person takes the empty chair. So that as many members as possible have a chance to share, please limit your sharing to a maximum of two minutes or less. A timer will remind you when you have reached two minutes. Please speak into the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. The meeting is now open for sharing. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. I'm a sex addict. And um, I've recently had nightmares where I would go on on to give a speech and my, my pants are down. And, or I would, you know, give a speech and I forgot my notes at home, or I would go give a speech and I'm not wearing a shirt. I'm completely, you know, exposed. So a lot of my fears is the fear of being exposed. And what that means for me is if I'm exposed, then people are going to see the person who is inside or, or the things that are happening inside. So a lot of my fears are, uh, the fear of being exposed and, and, and thus, uh, the fear of the eyes being seen on me and, um, the fear that I'm not worthy and I don't have value. So I can relate to the fear of failure, um, because, uh, failure, uh, for me is a fear because failing in itself is, uh, for me is, not something I fear, but when when people know that I fail, that's when it becomes a fear. Like if I just fail and nobody knows, if I just fail at something and nobody has no idea, then I'm okay with that. But if somebody else knows that I fail, then it becomes a fear and I'm terrified. So a lot of my fears are based on how other people uh, perceive of me. So I have to remind myself that no matter what happens, no matter... If I fail at my career or at my um, 
whatever I do for a living or in my future marriage, um, no matter what happens, if I fail, uh, I'm still, my, my self and worth and value is not going to change. And that's something I have to remind myself that I'm still, um, a human being worthy of love and belonging. And that, that really, uh, takes out all the fear. So thank you for letting me share. I'm Joe. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, one of the things I love about this uh, marathon and about SA in general is I get to hear miracle stories. We just heard three miracle stories up here today. The thing I like about these three miracles, they all have gray hair. So it tells me that there's, it's not too late for me. So I'm, I'm very, very thankful. Very thankful for them and for this program. Uh, my main issue has been for years has been resentment, and I've talked to Alan several times about my resentments, and I've heard some of his advice before. I don't think I remember uh, the part about praying for myself to be able to forgive, so I'm going to remember that. And also to get an accountability partner, which I never have fallen through on, so uh, I needed to hear that too. Um, and I do. I remember our speaker this morning talked about... Uh, in his journey, he talked about having to love, learning to love other people. His key was learning to love other people first, then loving God, then loving himself. So uh, I've got to learn to forgive and to love the people that I resent in order to have a decent relationship with, with my higher power and myself. So it's all good stuff for me. Uh, I'm just grateful to be here. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. I'm Mike. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, I appreciate what you guys said and and what I heard here and in some other sessions just got me thinking about resentments. I came to this uh, church a few weeks ago for the Back to Basics uh, 12 step. And uh, so we worked the 12 steps that day and so I did an inventory. And based upon how that shook out, my top three were uh, selfishness, fear and resentments and they were in the beginning so that hasn't gone away I you know what does that say I guess that's just part of who I am and I have to manage it and I've just been thinking about uh, the fact that I don't want to have that feeling of resentment or I don't want to have the feeling of fear but it's there but as, as Alan said it's in the six inches between my ears. It's not outside of my head. Uh, the people I resent don't know I resent them probably. And so why would I want to carry that around? And um, that just made me also think about our problem where the phrase, and we gave our power away to others. So just kind of piecing all these things together, it just you know brings back what we've heard probably all of us all of our lives about when when I forgive the person that benefits is me uh, it's, uh, it's interesting to think about forgiving somebody and they don't even know what, why would you forgive me I don't even know what you're talking about I've had that happen to me when I've made amends to people so um, thank you for reminding me it's between my ears and uh, this is all made up there and I've, I've got to stop giving my power away because with if, if I'll give it away, if give, stop doing that, then the peace I want and the serenity I want will 
we'll follow. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Catherine Sex Hot. Hey, I've been in a lot of different uh, programs. One was SIA Survivors of Incest Anonymous. And I never knew what real rage was till those girls got me in touch with the abuse that uh, I had suffered. Some of them suffered real abuse. There were, there were children in cults and they were terribly abused. Um, and I, uh, I, I've had so much therapy. It's like I've been washed in some sense in my, in my fear, resentment, and, uh, anger. I didn't really, I didn't really have it. You know, I've worked it all out. But, um, like I said, when those girls helped me get in touch with my feelings, um, it was a lot stronger than I thought. Um, I've wasted many years resenting my dead parents and how smart how smart is that uh, I, I was told in, in AA that uh, you can't say I am a victim well I could because I really believed it I, I did not see my own part in things I did not see my own power and once I even accepted it intellectually I still couldn't do anything about it. It was just so much easier to put the put the blame on somebody else. Um, I think I said my parents are already dead now. My brother, my brother uh, resents me for something that didn't happen. He said I broke his toys, and I said I didn't break your toys. If I had broken your toys, I would have gotten a spanking, and I would have remembered it. But uh, that's why he resents me. Because I broke his toys. What are you talking about? Um, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I haven't done better. Uh, that I, I do live in my head. I live in my romantic fantasies. Um, and it's like I'm coasting. And uh, I'm wasting... I'm, I'm wasting my life. And... Um, my therapist said to me once, you're not getting any younger. And I, we do it on phone now, but I just wanted to slap him upside the head. Um, it's like I have it too easy. And uh, he said once, I wonder what would happen if you didn't have the money you have. My father left me money. And, well, they were divorced, and so my mother left me some money, my father left me some money, and I have my retirement. Um and uh, it's just very easy living in your head. It's lonely. It's lonely. Um, I have started overeating some. I am an overeater. Um, I, I, I think I'm better than other people, but it's because I don't try. I don't do anything. It's easy to be better when you don't try because you you, you can't fail. Um, I'll leave powerless over less. Uh, 
appreciate what you shared, Charles. Uh, low self-esteem and fears, and uh, about uh, uh, so uh, you know, I've always one of my fears has always been uh, my uh, I have same-sex attraction struggle. So uh, uh, so someone asked me the other day, says, "Why aren't you? Did you ever get married?" And I said, "No." And what I told him was, which is true, that my parents got divorced when I was young, and so I don't want to repeat that. So the only way to repeat that, or not repeat that, is never get married. So I thought of that whenever Charles said, if I didn't try it, then I wouldn't fail. But, uh, uh, but, uh, but I didn't tell her about the SSA stuff. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, so I just wanted to share that. Thanks for, and, uh, I'm spiritually, uh, I'm growing spiritually. So, uh, I don't know what God has in store for me in the future. Maybe there is a wife in the future. Who knows? If, if it is, God bless her. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, gradually those fears will, will go away. Uh, so thanks for the, sh- for y'all sharing. And, uh, it's a great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Ben, I'm a sex addict. Uh, I really appreciate this kind of trifecta of fear, anger, and resentment. Uh, part of my story is that I'm afraid of anger, and out of that I grow resentment. Um, it just, um, unfortunately, they come in, you know, they say good thing, you know, whatever, bad things come in threes and all that kind of stuff. And these three just kind of all hang out together for me. You know, I identify a lot with all of what you guys said, I heard a lot of my story in every one of them. Uh, how I covered up my stuff, the uh, the multiple tentacles of addiction in there, just kind of, I'm going to find it in every way I can. And just how, how I was afraid of so much stuff. Uh, afraid of failure, afraid of I never put it together, doing just enough because I was afraid of failure. I thought it was just enough. Well, that's ex- success. You know, it's just enough. I passed. Uh, you know, they only ask for your, for your, uh, Transcript at the first job. So as long as you pass that one, it doesn't matter. Um, but my list of resentments, it's funny, I actually got a notebook out to come today and I was like, oh, it happens that I have a, have a starting list of resentments and fears in the back of this. Unfortunately, it's dated two years ago. Um, and that's, uh, that's the last time I really tried to make a list of, of my fears and resentments, uh, because it's so daunting that I stop at step four. Uh, I've stopped at step four multiple times. Um, and I really identify with the issue of thinking I had no anger. I, I still struggle with that a lot in, in my, in my marriage. I've progressed from thinking I had no anger to then being okay with being angry. And I can tell all you guys and I can tell my therapist and I can tell my home group and I can tell the guys I meet all over the place. Um, I can tell my acting out partners. But I can't actually tell my... So then the next step is like actually saying to my wife, I am angry at you. Because that still... Oh, that just feels... Makes my skin crawl. So I appreciate all this and previous shares, and thanks again for giving your time. I'm Jay, recovering sexaholic. Thank you for all the shares. A really, it's a great session. Um, 
I especially appreciate the challenge to write things down, uh, not just in step work, but in journaling, because what I realize about my progress is that if I don't write things down in the time that they occurred, if I go back a week or two later and try to remember them, they're not remembered accurately. Because I had my present feelings about it is going to color the memory. So I have to write it down as it occurs. So what I've discovered is that in regard to fear is that I was in a pattern of two or three days before an event, particularly a public event, I would start to have anxiety about it. Then after the event, usually nothing happened. So what was happening is during that three-day buildup, I was losing being able to be present and having peace um, as in those days building up to that event. So I had to make a surrender there and realize that my higher power was in control and that the likelihood was that everything would be well. And so then I start, stopped giving away my power to those future events and started to live in the present. And I realized finally that the present is really all I have. And if I can live in that present, I can live in his presence. Thanks. Thanks, I'm John Sexaholic. I'm all about fear, but I don't like to talk about it. And uh, those who know me would never think I had fear, you know, or anxiety even. People tell me I'm the calmest person in the world, but I'm full of fear. I'm full of fear that you won't like me, that I won't be enough, that I won't be good enough, that I won't be this, that I won't be that. And I keep that all bottled up inside because that's the way I was trained. I was trained never to explain, never complain. Just tough it out. And uh, that's a tough way to live. That's really a tough way to live, but it's a great way to be an addict. Okay? Because <laughs> I can hide behind that addiction pretty darn well. Okay? And then it, it covers up that for a while. It doesn't work forever, but it does work for quite a while. So I'm, I'm trying to be more honest now in my recovery. Uh, sober three months this time. And uh, my new policy is to be honest and to talk about fear. So thanks for letting me share. I'm Jason. I'm a sexaholic. Um, yeah, this is a great topic for me. I really the the talk was amazing. Um, resentments. Um, you know, it's been a while <laughs> so I've, since I've done inventory, and I um, know I resent the last girl I dated who broke up with me, and and I and that still eats me up. And in fact, the last time I, was, I acted out, it came up in the conversation with the person. Like so. I thought I was over it, but um, I'm almost resentful of myself for still being resentful at that person. Like, I should be tougher. Like, I shouldn't still be resentful. But I'm not writing it out. I'm not praying for her, you know. Um, you know, so there's resentment still in me, and I'm not, I haven't written out inventory in a while. Um, and fear, that's that's a biggie for me. I mean, I mean negative emotions in general, um, sadness and fear, and it's just like I want to, um, I'll feel, I'll feel guilty for being angry at someone. Like, it was like, I shouldn't have been angry, or I shouldn't have been scared, or I shouldn't have been, you know, like, I, I, and so that's the part that, um, the shame comes in, and, or the self, self-hatred. Um, and so, yeah, the, the I think resentments and fear, big part of, uh, my struggles, um, with, with, with lust, cause lust just wants to cover, I just want to numb it out, you know, I want to cover it up. 
I want to feel better. So, um, anyways, yeah, this it's a great topic. I really appreciate you guys, you know, um, you know, the experience on it because it, it's it's helpful to hear. Um, so, thanks for letting me share. Hey everybody, I'm Eric. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I really appreciate this talk. I'm working on my fourth step. I'm almost done and uh, looking forward to work on that with my sponsor. And uh, some of you guys up here have encouraged me a lot through that and uh, getting to work on it more. Um, the experience I have with uh, a resentment that I had not too long ago um, when I had a little bit of sobriety and was taking better direction um was i uh got in a car wreck right after my divorce and they say you shouldn't make big decisions financially you know like buying a new car and uh i was kind of forced into that um while i was grieving and i bought a car that was breaking down and uh the guy sold it to me it looked great told me just needed to replace the light bulb i had i had uh, later found out the fender lining wasn't put into it. Long story short, everything short circuited. It was a couple thousand dollars to fix. And I was so upset. And, um, when I started praying for him, when I figured out this stinks, I was like, God bless this effing hurricane. <laughs> I pray for his marriage, his finances while I'm losing all those things. And, um, long story short, uh, I prayed about it. I found a situation where I was actually about to file a lawsuit and I had a pretty good chance of winning. And uh, I was able to cover the damages, not file the lawsuit, leave him alone. And I actually don't have resentment towards him. If I, if I could see him again, I actually would be, you know, pretty happy to see him. Um, I don't know exactly what I would say. I don't really think about that, but how I can make amends is just kind of let it go, leave him alone. And, um, I actually ended up with a pretty good deal out of it. And, uh, instead of enacting justice, I was able to give that grace that I was praying for. So anyways, thanks for letting me share. Time for one more share. Somebody has a burning Okay, well that's all the time we have then for sharing. Thank you for participating. Please join me in thanking our panel. Anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about an essay to yourself. And what you say here, let it stay here. Yeah. Remember, we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. Let's circle up, and after a moment of silent, med silent meditation, I'd like to ask Edward to lead us in an essay prayer of his choice. And they are on the wall if you need help.
Let's do a third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as I will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back because it works if you work it. You've got to work it every day, every night. It's worth it. 